Welcome again to another episode of Therapy Session. Stacy. it is good to be back. I'm glad you're yes, doing well. Is. I'm glad you're doing well because you weren't you had gone to the hospital uh, yeah. a few a few week a few weeks ago and um, I did talk to Rob. I talked to Rob the other day. Cousin Rob is doing all right. I, I miss I miss him. I miss Rob too, man. You know, like you know, yeah, him and uh, him and Rage, because it was gonna be four of us. It was gonna be four of us before the pandemic started, because we oh, were wow. like the yeah, it was gonna be like four of us. It was gonna be like um, three R's and an S. It was, that's that's what the original idea was, and then the pandemic hit, and because the last time we were, all four of us were together, we were celebrating the demise of Bernie Sanders. We were and celebrating now- it. Now it's back to us. <laughs> Which isn't a bad thing. It isn't a bad it's thing. It's not a bad thing. But you were here in New Orleans not too long ago. You were in New Orleans. We had a chance to uh, meet up at that dog on Ferret Street. You also went to Gabrielle, which is owned by my friend, um, my friend Mary Sonia and her husband. Um, how was that meal? It was fabulous. I I told her it was great. Um, she treated us like family. Um, I um I can't remember what all they had. I, I know for me, I had the soup and I had the salad, which was really good. And I took me home. I think some chocolate pie, which was so good. And I ate off of that for two days. And we just we had a fabulous time. And we got a free appetizer, courtesy of Gabrielle and like I said, we had fabulous service. The lady who served us, I forgot her name, Lord forgive me, but she was so sweet. She reminded me of my great aunt Bert who died probably about 10 or 15 years ago. Well, not 10 years ago. Cause I think she, my grandmother has been dead for 10 years. So maybe she's been gone for 12, but anyway, she was a very sweet lady, great server, took care of us. They took care of us. So I want to thank you and Gabrielle again Mazel tov. Thank you both for treating us like family. Oh yeah, they are they're uh, ama- they're definitely amazing people, you know. Like I say, I always tend to um with me, I always tend to, you know, whatever, you know, anytime people, my friends come into town, I tend to give them like I say, I'm going to put you in contact with high quality people with high quality with high quality people. Um, because that's just how I've always been. Uh, that's how I've always been. And, and in so many words, you know, those people, the people that I know from, um, the people I know, like Mary Sonia and all of them, they are amazing, amazing, amazing people. Um, I also did like that not too long ago, like almost two weeks ago, I married one of my friends got married here in oh. New Orleans. Yeah. I was the officiant. I was, a, I was the person that, I was the person, the minister. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was like, I was the minister. And what people don't know is I'm an ordained pastor in the Universal Life Church. So um, when she talked about getting married, I made, she made a promise. She wanted me to be the person to do it because I have known her for about almost 20 years. Uh, we were in, at, at Southwest Tennessee Community College together. And she used to always call me Boomhauer because every time I would get mad, I would sound just like Boomhauer. And I told her, and, the, and what people <laughs> don't realize is 
that I did it to save myself from cursing someone out, like from getting in trouble for profanity at work. So anytime I would get mad, I would start sounding like Boomhauer. And one time, I like one, like when I called her the other day, I said, "Yo, man, dang Tracy, man, this little man, the dang Ryan, man, you know the dang man, the, the dang thing, you know, <laughs> rain, rain is just coming down, powder, and it sound, it's really hard, believe it or not, to to do that without you have to take in a lot of air, and you have to have a really great set of pipes to do that entire Boomhauer impersonation. And I've d- I did it maybe once, one time, like in one minute. It takes me maybe 90 seconds to do that. Like a 90 second Boomhauer impersonation, I could do that. And she was, you know, and but I was so happy for her because she had gone through so much, Stacey. I'm talking about when we were in college, one of the saddest things I ever had to deal with, ever had to see um, if, I'm not sure if you ever been to Memphis, Southwest yeah, Tennessee. Memphis all right, all right. Well, Southwest the, the school, the campus, the main campus. We used to call that the Looney Bin because they had the high school, the community college. There was a high school, and then there was a community college. So they built the ballpark. There was a AutoZone Park. AutoZone Park is down the street from uh, down the street from Southwest. One day. We snuck off from school to go watch a baseball game because I used to get the five dollar tickets or whatever. Yeah, five dollar get the five dollar tickets. We'll go to the ballpark and you could buy tickets on the day of the game. So we get to Union and Danny Thomas, and it's this lady with this white blouse shirt, uh, black slack, uh, black slacks, and she was just talking with us like she just looked she looked like she had been out on the street for like two or three days she had asked for some change and we we didn't have any I don't think I had any change or anything but I remember my friend my friend um Tracy was like that's my mom like I literally saw her mom we literally ran into her mom walking the streets of Memphis wow. on our way to a baseball game because she had like a, she was mentally ill and it was like, she had gone through so much. She had gone through a divorce. She went through so much Stacy. And I was just like being the person to do that, to give, to be the person to officiate her wedding. It was a blessing. It was a blessing for me and it was a blessing for her because that was the first time I also had seen met one of her kids because her kids, I remember when her kids were born and seeing that, just seeing her happy because she has she had gone through so much shit in the last 17 years we've known each other. Um, and then also, let's see, what else, what else, what else did it? Oh yeah. Uh, Elon Musk um, apparently is broke and doesn't have the money to buy Twitter. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> he might be. I think that's his. I think that's his uh, excuse of, to get out of it, more or less. I mean, because you know, but I heard that when he started, you know, talking about buying Twitter, that his stock in Tesla started going down. 
And so they may be right. He may not have enough money. I don't think he broke, but I think he probably doesn't have enough to pay now to, to get Twitter. You, I wondered. I wonder. Can he do it? Can he buy it? Can they? Uh, can he have like a little? Um, what was I gonna say? Um, I guess um, payment plan, layaway, food stamps. I mean, I mean, I'm I sure. Think, I think we ran him off Twitter. To be honest with you, I think that when he found out that we weren't gonna allow him just just be an ass, he left because we ran him his ass off. We ran him off. I think. I think because his, his excuse was, you know, especially when we all found out he was talking about putting Trump back on there, and we were like, hell no. We would not I have mean, And he, I, I think mean, we him off. I mean, and, and it's like, I'm like, I'm like, why do you all want him back on? Like, why do you want him back on? Like, that's the thing that I, I don't get. Like, why do you want this guy back on Twitter? For what? What do you want him? Why do you want him on? I like, I, I feel like this, Stacey. I feel like this, honest to God. And you might think I'm, I, 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 you might think I'm being, you might think I'm being full of shit about this. I don't think the former guy broke this country. I don't think he broke it to the level I thought he did. I think Bernie Sanders and that all the, the language that he used and the former guy adopted broke this country establishment rigged um corrupt like uh establishment all those things like we want to get rid of the corporate you know career politicians and all these things i truly believe that bernie sanders and the former guy broke this country you can't tell me otherwise you can't tell me you can't tell me otherwise it's like it's like so many people that we know that we know um uh, uh um stacy so many people we know have been broken and just been sucked into the vortex of bernie sanders and the former guy and it's so it's so it's really like sad to watch i mean you can say what you want to say about about bush but I don't think he's. It, 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 it was nothing like this. It was nothing no. like this. Even I'm. I'm sure during when Reagan was in office, it was nothing like this. But I mean, but I, like we were talking about today, like with the abortion issue, um, and people were, you know, Democrats are saying, why didn't we codify uh, Roe v. Wade like they did with gay rights? And my thing was that because it was the law. And we thought we had judges in place at the time that was going to follow the law. Now that we have judges in place, that seven of them, I think I heard seven or eight, are actually, they're actually, uh, they're Catholic. So of course, and somebody tried to tell me, oh, well, this is not about religion. Bullshit. Of course it's about religion. Of course. Like, that's that, that's, that, that's, that's what... Ugly. That's what you're seeing in Louisiana. Like, that's why I was trying to tell people. I said, that's why I was trying to tell people in, like, in Louisiana, we have a pro-life Democratic governor, and he's Catholic. And I'm pretty sure if you had a Baptist Democrat governor in Louisiana, I'm pretty sure the tenor and the tone of what just happened 
would have been a different it would have been a different story because people don't realize this. Governor Blanco signed this into law in 2006. There was a trigger law in 2006 on the books by a Democratic governor, Kathleen Blanco. Kathleen Blanco is Catholic. South Louisiana is a very decidedly Catholic part of the state. And then if you go up to the north, you have the, it's it's pretty it's Protestant. It's not that Catholic. Once you get go up north towards Monroe, Shreveport, that's not Catholic. Um, the, 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 high, the amount of Catholics that live in this part of the country, in this part of the state, it's insane. So it was a religion issue. It was a religion right. issue. It, 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 it was, I, I knew that. I knew that. I was like, why is everybody getting mad at Governor Edwards? Y'all know he's a Catholic. Y'all know he's a Catholic. You know he's, this is what he's going to stand on. He's going to use his religion, even though I don't agree with it. But I also told someone this. I said, John Bell Edwards would not be able to win an election in Pennsylvania or in Illinois or in, um, or in a place like Wisconsin or Michigan. He is the type of Democrat that can win a statewide election in the state of Louisiana. Well, that, I it's, mean, but like, we talk about like it's different. This is why when people start talking shit about, well, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that in certain parts of the south of the country? Politics are different every part of the country. What works in central New York does not work in central Alabama or central Louisiana. That's what people in New York don't seem to get. What type of politics doesn't work here? You know, it doesn't work. It, like you cannot, you, you, you can you be, you, be too liberal. You can be liberal, like I said. You can't be too liberal. Doug Jones works because he's moderate. You know, a lot of people want somebody to be. Oh, everybody wants. Well, not everybody, but a lot of progressives are wanting the old. I mean, the AOC types. But that AOC rhetoric doesn't work in Alabama. It wouldn't no. work with me. AOC couldn't win dog catcher in, in New Orleans. She could probably like she could not win dog catcher. And it's just like I feel like with her, she has to make a scene. She has to fucking make a scene. Everything she brings up, like I'm a former, I'm a rape survivor. Okay. I always sympathize with rape survivor with with rape survivors. I always do, Stacy. But in their case, you bring this up when you got detained during a road during a uh, an abortion route an abortion protest think about that for a second you bring that up during an abortion rally protest i mean an abortion protest that you got detained and then you were like waving to the camera when after you got carried away by the cops and then you said that you got arrested at the fucking protest and it's like this is why everyone hates um, those types of progressive. Everyone hate. This is why people don't like them, and this is why their movement couldn't expand beyond the limit that it it oh uh, that it um they expanded to, because they feel like they have to push their agenda down everybody, and and they, and and they don't understand that. They don't understand that at all. 
it's like, um, I thought about what somebody said the other week. It's like, you see this with, uh, you saw it with the COVID stuff, like with COVID vaccines. It's like people got mad. I mean, I wouldn't say people got mad, but the way that the information was delivered and would distribute in urban areas, it was miles different from what's distributed, what was distributed in rural areas. And I also think, I also think, Stacy, how you meet people where they are matters a lot. If you're always screaming and trying to push your agenda down on somebody, they're not going to want to hear it. And they don't seem to get that. Like being a dem, like everything, like in terms of politics, is local. Like, like it's like this group of people on Twitter that I get what I, 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 I admire their passion, Stacy. But they feel like okay, this candidate doesn't have a lot of baggage, but this candidate does. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, what if this person, person A. Person A is known because he has a local presence, and person B is not known by the local by the locals because no one's ever heard of him. Most of the time, they're gonna vote for the person that is more local than person B. And people and people who are outside those areas don't seem to get that. No, they don't. They don't. And like I said, they think that their politics works here. It does not it does not. does not work here. You know, it doesn't work and you can't be too liberal in the South. I mean, because it's a it's a turnoff for people. You can't you can't, and say, you can't do you, can, you can't tell you can't say to fund the police no. in a roar in a rural area. In a rural area, you, it, it just does not work that way. You can't say to fund the police in Birmingham. Probably people are no. not going to people are not going to support that shit. It's like, oh, I'm going I'm to defund the police. You know, people don't support that kind of stuff. You know, they don't support it. And I mean, and, and like I said, that's what I'm saying is that when I hear people fuck, it's like your politics doesn't work here, sir or ma'am. You can't sit there and bring your California, New York politics doesn't work in Alabama. No matter how much uh, you try, you know it doesn't work here, and I think that's what people don't get. And I think I think, I think and, and and now and what you're seeing now is like again the rhetoric that these folks use that these folks use. The former guy copied it, copied it. That's right. why he wanted. That's why he wanted to run against Bernie because he knows damn well. He's basically talking to himself. Yeah, he know he knew that this would be he everybody knew it and everybody pretty much said that and and, and this like I said, this shows, you know, black people knew, we knew Joe Biden was going to be the man that was able to beat Donald Trump because we, we saw it. We knew that that's why Trump was fighting for Bernie to be on the ticket and, and, and starting shit because he knew good and damn well his chances of winning was better with Bernie against Bernie than it would have been against Joe. And we were, as black people again, proven right that having Joe Biden in office was the best thing for this country because as much as we might like, I, I like Kamala was, uh, Kamala was one of my, um, 
you know, one of my choices to be president, and so was Beto O'Rourke. But they, like I said, let's be honest, this country was not ready for a black woman as no. president. And they're not ready for a liberal, you know, Mexican-American from Texas. We had to pick the guy. We knew an older white guy was going to be the guy where white people wouldn't feel threatened and go, you know what? <laughs> we can we can deal with this guy. We can't deal with the other ones, but we can deal with this guy. So I agree. I, mean, I agree with that. I, I think that I think that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense now that you mention it. But I also think I think also I think also to me, Joe can relate to people in the rural areas, in those small rust belt towns. And you have someone like Bernie, Bernie cannot relate to those people in the rural areas. He can't relate to black people. He can't he relate to, to you know, he doesn't want to try and stuff. And I think the thing is, and we talk about like fighting misinformation with information. Um, one of the things that was brought to my attention, like, how do you do that in a rural in a rural area, even though we know rural areas are not our tickets to winning Democratic seats. We even though we know that the thing is, when I talk to somebody, I said there's a difference between urban apathy and rural apathy. Rural apathy is that everyone makes you out to be the butt of jokes, and you don't have. Um, and I remember someone who told me this. Someone told me this like a week ago or two weeks ago. They would tell me they they were like they grew up in a rural area in um, I think in um, somewhere near Chattanooga. I think it, they grew up near Chattanooga, and they told me they were like they didn't talk politics. They didn't talk politics. They were in the middle of no. They grew up in the middle of nowhere in uh, in the Chattanooga area, and. I talked to them about my mom. My mom doesn't vote. My mom felt like voting is a waste of time. And and I'm like, how do you fix that? And I'm like, here's how you do it. You meet people where they are. You make right. voting you make voting easy. I mean, I'll give you an example and then we're gonna move on to talking about conference realignment. Uh one of the example a, a prime example of this is what's happening in DuPage County, Illinois. And that's outside of Chicago. That's right outside of Chicago. That's right outside of Chicago. One of the things that they're doing uh, is they doing the outreach. They're doing outreach. And on top of that, if you want like a, um, and I'm looking at this now, they had like the largest turnout during the primaries in, in the Chicago area. Um, and they said that they have a new ballot system where the ballot is printed right on demand and a voter can go to any polling place and put their name, address, and get a, uh, out their name, address, and they get a, fr a freshly printed ballot. And this is, in, um, and they was like, this is a way that they can make voting easy and this is how you reach people. You meet people where they are because a lot of times, a lot of times, some people don't, you know, in terms of ballots and, and trying to vote, they don't, they don't, they don't, some people can make time for uh, off work. Some people can't. So they have to make it easier for people to vote. And they, they call it the uh, vote anywhere on election day. That's what they talking about. 
And I'm like, damn, someone was talking about this the, a, a week ago. And I'm like, man, that's how you make voting easy. And that's how you reach people. They need to make, like everybody's been saying, take out Columbus Day and make, you know, voting a holiday. That's how, I mean, because you're right, it's about making it easier for folks to be able. That's why it pisses me off when you sit there and hear people saying, well, I'm going to take away, you know, this is what I'm going to do. They need to fill in the blank and say, well, we're going to we're gonna change voting precincts and we're going to do this and they're closing down all this and making it harder for people, especially in rural areas to vote. Right. And, 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 and in rural areas and then, and I think also, I thought, I think back to this, that the whole situation, I think back to um, what was told to me, you know, from this person who lived in the Chattanooga, who was who grew up in the Chattanooga area. It's like a lot of people who live in rural areas, they don't have internet. Everybody like, oh, they got, but they got basic cable. I'm like, dude, even if you have basic cable, okay, even if you have basic cable, even if you have satellite and everything, and even if you have a cell phone, it's not like, okay, if I want to go and drop off a ballot, okay, um, the nearest post office here from where I stay at here in New Orleans is right down the street. I can literally ride my bike up to Louisiana and Daniil and drop off my, uh, my absentee ballot, okay? If, what if I lived in a rural area? I would have to drive 10, 15, 20 miles to a post office. And then on top of that, there's no, there's no place in the area that has Wi-Fi, like broadband. Like your library is a gas station. Right. And I know I, I can confirm this because I can confirm this because I've seen uh, cities that had libraries and gas stations. You've seen it too. I mean, cause you know, we both seen it cause it's, it's prevalent in the South. So what do you do with that? How do you make, how do you reach the people? You try to make it easier. You have like, you have like, um, like they had like the old book mobiles have a vote mobile, like stuff mm -hmm. like that. That way the rural people can see you and they can see that you care because a lot because a lot of people, a lot of people be like, well, you know, they have, you know, a rural, the rural area people, they are all going to be MAGAs and everything. That's, in, in most cases, that's true because you have like 80% predominantly white area, like small towns and shit. But there might be some people there that might, I mean, if you talk to them, and if, you know, if you talk to them, if you talk to them and you figure out, okay, why are they apathetic? Then they might come over and vote Democrat. They might come over and lit, if you tell them, if you just talk to them and meet them where they are, guess what? You can reach those people. And I'm not saying you can reach every, everybody, but you can, you can reach, reach at least three or four. But isn't that basically what Stacey Abrams did? I mean, that's what Stacey Abrams did is that she went to where people were. She said, okay, I lost. But rather than saying, you know, be bitter about it, she registered people to vote. That's what you do. She got out there and started registering in people and, 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 got, and got, like I said, I really feel confident that she's going to win. 
she's going to be the first black female governor of a major state. And she, like I said, she did it on her own. She sat there and did it on her own. She, mm. she sat there and got people registered to vote. And she has made now the state of Georgia a powerful force in elections. I was just, I don't know if I was telling you or somebody else. I said, we got to the point now we don't need Florida and Texas to win elections. We proved that in 2020. You know, I we, mean, you really don't. I mean, but I think the thing, I think the thing, I think as time goes on, you're going to have, I think Texas, Texas is going to be purple. I think the thing that screwed up Florida this time around, because Florida was, you know, three of the last four elections, Florida, like two, um, two, two to, um, Two of the last four elections, Obama won Florida twice, if I recall. Right. And you, you know, he didn't win. Uh, Hillary didn't win Florida the third time uh, in 2016. But 2020, I think, and and this is where I say that Bernie fucked up, fucked this country up. When you have someone like Bernie, that is, um brings up Castro and he's an Amira Castro that turns off Hispanic, you know, Hispanic, you know, like the, the Cuban community in Florida, there's a large Cuban community in the, in the state of Florida, especially in the Miami area and, and, and Miami and, and Miami Dade and Broward and, and Palm beach County. So I see it this, I see it this way. It's like when you meet people where they are, they're going to remember that. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying, I'm not saying you're going to get, it's going to turn like, you're going to turn a rural county into a hundred percent, 100% in the democratic column, but you can make, take a chunk off of, uh, uh, you can change the perception if I'm not, if, if that makes any sense. Um, I thought also, and then we'll move on to talk about the conference realignment thing. I thought about this also at a, another thing I thought about, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine today, the vaccine rollout. Like if you look at certain areas, certain areas in the state of Georgia, or even here in Louisiana, the rule, like for example, in New Orleans and Orleans Parish, we had 82%, 83% got at least one dose of the shot. Now contrast that with an area, a rural parish, like, um, and I'm just gonna uh, pull it up here because I've been, I haven't really been paying attention to COVID data um, recently, Stacy, because I've gotten so tired of talking about um, COVID data. I really have. Like I was talking about COVID data like all last summer, you remember I was literally like a fucking zombie when it came to um, COVID data. So in Louisiana, we had 90, uh, West, West Filiansa, which is where Angola Penitentiary is, has 95% with one dose. That's a, a, a rural area. That's a rural parish of 16,000. We're second with 82%. Plaquemines Parish is uh, third with 80%, and fourth is Jefferson, which is at 76%. But if you look at something, uh, a parish like, um, let me see here. 
if you look at a parish like Jefferson Davis, which has um, 31,000, 42% has one dose. Uh, there's out of 64 parishes in this state, 25 still have not gotten 50% or more vaccinated with, with at least one dose. That includes Washington Parish, that includes St. Landrew Parish, even Livingston Parish. I think that's where Alexandria is. They don't have it. And, 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 and the question, and the thing is, the information that they get, plus the politicization of COVID, I think that has not, has, um, that I think that's the reason why the numbers are the way they are in terms of vaccinations. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, we have more people vaccinated than before. Um, I think that was the good thing. I think the rollout was terrible, um, to be honest. It's one of the few criticisms I will have of the president because, like you said, white people knew about it before we Mm-hmm. And, and I still don't know how a lot of them found out. I had my white friends were the ones telling me because I'm like, well, I need to get vaccinated. They were like, girl, you need to go. So, and they were sitting up and literally telling me, girl, you need to go to so and so, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, you need to go ahead and and this is where you can do it. And if you sign on the list, because I remember I had to basically lie to get my COVID shot and say I was working in the health field or something. Or, and I got, or, or I was a caregiver or some kind of bullshit I had to say when COVID, you know, started rolling out. Because, you know, they were doing it slowly. And, uh, yeah, it was, and like I said, but white people knew. Mm. I mean, Walmart was not advertising. Neither was Walgreens. Neither was CBS. CBS was not advertising. They were not advertising it at all because they just said, um, they just said in so many words, "Go get vaccinated." All right. right. How 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 does how how does a person get vaccinated when they don't know how to get it done? Because you realize that we are a stupid ass country. So right. you tell me, oh yeah, um, oh yes, we got, uh, we want you to get vaccinated. We want you to get vaccinated. Um, how do I do that? So me, I knew how to sign up. I knew how to sign up and everything, because my friend Christine, my friend Christine, had gotten forty people signed up. And the thing, if you look at a map of New Orleans, I stay one block close to, close to St. Charles. I live one block close to St. Charles. If you live close to St. Charles, you're more likely to be vaccinated. The people that live in my complex, I only knew maybe three or four that got vaccinated. I don't know how many got really vaccinated. I, 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 I refuse to believe a lot of people around here got vaccinated. I still, even to this day, and it's not because I'm trying, I'm not trying to be an asshole about it, but it's like, they never talked about it. I mean, I'm not sitting here saying, I mean, I don't think you should talk about it, but I never really heard, seen them make a conscientious effort to go get vaccinated. I just could not, I didn't, I, it was just something that just did not pop in my brain at all. Um, 
it, it was just something that didn't pop in my brain. But I do remember this, that I had gone to the convention center and this guy who's known me since I was a kid, I was on Facebook doing, I did a Facebook live and he was like, Ryan, how do I go get vaccinated? And I was like, okay, hold on tight. I'm gonna run home and I'm gonna sign you up for an appointment. And I did his appointment. I did his appointment from New Orleans on my laptop. That's the thing that people don't realize. Like that's kind of one of the reasons why so many places in the South uh, got 40, 45% of the, the, uh, their population, uh, un- uh, 50% or more unvaccinated because a lot of people don't know how to access the information. And it's not like uh, over in Mississippi, it was this predominantly black rural county that got like 92% of their people vaccinated. And what did they do? They went and they went out to the community they talk to people about the vaccine and everything because everybody always everybody always talks about tuskegee and i said the reason why tuskegee happened is because the government by and you know i'm right about this stacy you know that they wanted to take advantage of poor rural black folks they would have yeah. never gotten away that they would have never got away with that shit in chicago they would have never got away with that shit in memphis they would have never got away with that shit in new orleans they would have never got away with that shit in atlanta or nashville or any urban area they knew where to go they had to go to the rural area they went to a school they went to tuskegee and they also realized that some of these people these people weren't going to question what was in the, they weren't going to question anything. If anything, they're going to take the free meal and they're going to take the health treatment because they see, they saw free health care. Right. But nobody, nobody, nobody took the time to tell them what was, you know, what was out there, what treats, what treatments were out there for syphilis. They didn't know any better and they know they took advantage uh, like you said, like poor black people, they know that a lot of them didn't know any better and didn't question, like you said, free health care, probably a free meal and didn't say nothing, didn't say, oh, well, you don't, you know, you don't need to. It's not, I mean, it's, it's still true to this day that I'm a perfect example of it. I, like I said, me having surgery a few weeks ago, I'm a diabetic. And so I don't mind telling you this. I lost a toe. I lost a, my big toe a few weeks ago, and um, I have been sharing too much of this, well, too much of the information out in public on Twitter because I don't think it's everybody's business. But I lost the toe, and I felt like the doctor that was treating me before this um, didn't do a good enough job. I'm a diabetic. When I was going to the free clinic, which I should have kept my ass going. And uh, I was being seen every three to six weeks. They were checking on me, checking blood sugars, telling me this, telling me that and the other. And this doctor, I've gone to him a couple of times. I paid 150 to go see this guy and he didn't do shit. He just basically asked me a bunch of questions. Well, you feeling bad today? Well, no, well, what do you want to see me about? And we'd have like a five minute conversation. He was done with me. And when like I can say when I went to the free clinic, uh, they checked my blood sugar, sugar, and they would check on me. They sent me to a pod- podiatrist, which I was going to, and they were doing all that. And like I said, I blame myself. And first of all, 
if you're diabetic, please take it seriously because you don't want to end up. I'm lucky because I still have everything else. I just lost that one toe. So that's why I'm not really, I was upset about it at first, but I had to look at it on the positive side that I could have lost my foot. I could have lost the rest of my toes. I could have lost my leg. My daddy lost his leg like a few years ago. He lost his leg. I just lost a toe. So anybody out there listening to this, please take care of yourself, especially if you're diabetic. But the point being, this guy was a lousy doctor. And uh, as Black women, as Black people, we're not taking it seriously as, you know, white people. And the story, the other thing is I went to a doc in the box, you know, those clinics you go to, I paid 175 mm-hmm. and they looked after my toe and I did my foot that whole week, my, my foot was um, swollen. I had no idea why. And this is right after we came back from New Orleans. This is like a couple of weeks later. And my foot was swollen, had no reason. I don't know why my foot was swollen. And I waited and and I tell people, I said, I, I didn't take it seriously enough because I figured, you know, it was a foot swollen, you know, didn't think it was nothing serious. It was the toe. And it was just a little small mark on my toe that basically caused my whole foot to swell up. Long story short, I go see them, Doc in the Box, paid 175 for that. Wait, they, hold on. Doc in a box? That's what we call the little, you ever seen the, that's what we call them here is the dock in the box because they are, you know, they are like, you know, these clinics that pop up like American Family Care and all them. Do y'all have those down there? Uh, we got, we got like the daughters of, like the daughters of charity. The, 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 the Paul, like the Paul, those, you know, the St. Vincent the Paul folks, you know, those, those people are everywhere. Well, I know what this, but American Family Care here in town, that's why I went to go see when my doctor, ironically, couldn't see me because I was going to go see him, made an appointment, thinking I would see him. And they said, well, no, he's not here, man. We can't see you until the 12th. Okay. July the 12th. So next thing you know, and this was around, this was, and I got sick, uh, yeah, that week. And so I went to Doc in the Box. They made... They soaked my feet for a while and they made two incisions on my toe uh, to supposedly, you know, let the the pus and the blood ease out. So I'm sitting, I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm taking my, they gave me uh, antibiotic shots and gave me some antibiotics to take home. And so I figured, okay, that's the end of it. I can go home. The swelling will go down. And I'll feel fine. And... I, that, that was, that was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was feeling better, but I took a shower on Sunday, took the bandage off, and I noticed my toe looked like a piece of rubber. Oh, and man. I, and I called my sister, and I was terrified. My sister works in the healthcare field. She works in GI lab in Veterans Hospital, uh, Veterans, yeah, the, the VA. And I told her, I think my toe's about to come off. And I was terrified and upset and, and nearly in tears. And I had to go sit at the hospital. And they finally, like I said, about an hour, hour and a half, they saw me. And uh, yeah, they told me while I was sitting there that my toe was probably going to have to be amputated. They said that that basically had gone gangrene. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So the toe was going to be gone. I, I, I was shocked. I, I was thought it was just going to come off right then. And uh, they kept it on, kept it on. That's why I had the surgery. 
and uh was in the hospital I, and then I, I make a joke and i said what's going to keep you out the hospital is not being sick it's the awful food and the fact that you can't rest at the hospital <laughs> that's what's going to keep me out but i say this to say that when you were saying that we're talking about healthcare and all that black people let me tell you we aren't looked after well like i said i went to a clinic and they basically sliced my toe off and i'm seriously thinking about looking into it to see if i could sue these motherfuckers because they may have been unnecessary. They may have could have taken other means other than making incisions. And I told them they can make incisions. And I didn't realize, you know, like I said, that that incision basically probably cost me my toe and wasn't told that. And that's what I'm saying and, and saying about my doctor, my regular doctor wasn't, you know, I'm diabetic. You're supposed to be a diabetic doctor. You should be calling me into your office or doing at least a consultation with me over the phone at least every Free consultation. Free consultation. Right. Yeah. That, and I, that's I'm how you're supposed to be doing it. I mean, that's how you're supposed to be doing it. Like, you're not supposed to be just like if you if you a if you're a doctor, like if you're a doc, like I'm going to tell you this. That's what happened to my grandmother. That's what happened to my grandmother. And it was a black doctor, a black doctor that did this to my grandmother. My grandmother had colon cancer. My grandmother had colon cancer. So my mom, my grandmother, and I, we had gone to, um, well, I won't say it was um, Philip Ballin. Uh, he was an internalist. He was like this guy that dealt with colon cancer and all this other stuff. So he told my grandmother that her cancer was all in her mind. Oh, my grandmother, wow. my grandmother is at home. Every time we would go somewhere and have um, have um, a meal, my grandmother would come. My grandmother would come home, and she would. Be th- she would go right in her room and be throwing up. Like she would literally be throwing up. And I'm like, that's not in her mind. She's really right. sick. Like she's really fucking sick. So we went to well, this he- other, we went to this other doctor, this guy named Dr. Robert Workman. And that's when it hit me. And I didn't know, I didn't know, um, how mad my mom was mad my mom was mad at me because i knew my grandmother had cancer she had colon cancer and i literally remember blurting out it's not you don't have cancer do you? and my grandmother looked at my mom my mom was just, my grandmother was like i don't like what ryan just said my grandma my mom cusses me out i'm a kid okay i'm a kid i'm not i'm a kid so I'm not thinking, okay, my grandmother has cancer. I'm not thinking that. I'm just saying this because I see everything around me. This is a cancer center. Right. And I literally just said, you don't, you have cancer. I was like, oh my God, my grandmother has cancer. That very next Thursday, she was in the hospital and my aunt, my aunt, my aunt Mackie, she sees me. She sees my mom. We're at William F. Bold Hospital. And my grand, my aunt was like, it's cancer. And it had already spread to her lung. It had already spread all over her body. Like she was about, she was like skinny, real skinny. Wow. 
Kids aren't stupid. Kids are not stupid. So my so it's not just white doctors that do this shit. It's always it's also black doctors. And my grandmother, like even to this day, every time I see a commercial with Philip Bowden on it, I'd be like, dude, I literally want to slap the taste out your mouth. Because you told my grandmother that her cancer was in her mind. Like he literally said that. I was like, if 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 this had to happen when I was an adult, uh, me and him would be shedding blood. We would be somebody would be somebody would be in the hospital with a black eye or something. Because you don't talk about my family like that. You just don't. But my thing is going back to the health thing too. Is that you're right? It's not. It's just doctors in general. But with my grandmother. Um, same thing. I mean, she was, didn't have cancer. She lived to be 98, but she got sick back in twin, two, uh, 2009. And I think I told you the story that she got back and got sick in 2009 and, uh, she needed to have emergency, uh, surgery and, uh, gallbladder surgery, but she had gallbladder was messed up and they didn't want to operate on it. And they almost let her die. They basically, you know, although they had, they basically made her stop eating, had put her, didn't even let her eat. Cause like I said, they didn't even let her eat for days. I mean, seriously, cause we're thinking they're not letting her eat cause they're going to do surgery. They didn't let her eat, Ryan. We're sitting up here thinking, well, she's going to go ahead and they're going to have, let her have the surgery. And we come back to the hospital. She is basically at death's door. She's barely breathing. They're giving her uh, morphine, which, you know, when they start giving you that, it's to make you comfortable. Mm -hmm. And my sister is in the healthcare field, like I said. And so she knows this. She jumped on this white nurse, not beat literally, but basically this white nurse, you know, got her ass told and said, get the doctor in his stat. The doctor got in there. It was a black doctor. Saw what my grandma was dealing with. And thank God they took her to the ICU. And that basically saved her life. Saved her life. And uh, like I said, these this hospital, Mobile Infirmary, anybody who has heard of Mobile Infirmary knows this is the worst hospital in the state of Alabama, in Mobile, Alabama. And they literally were going to let her die. And my mom told me, she said, her doctor said to her one time that, you know, basically once you get over a certain age they don't give a damn about you no more oh no oh, they don't care not. about you of course not because uh, and, and, and you know my mom is 65 so my grandmother was 63 when all of that happened she was 60 she was about to turn 64 when um when she uh got she got diagnosed with cancer three days before she turned 64. three days before she turned 64. And um, and I, I, I think, and I, I truly believe this. I truly believe this. I truly believe this. I think when you see how it, it correlates back to COVID vaccine hesitation, I'm like the, the mistrust of doctors and healthcare providers in the black community, you have to figure out a way to debunk that. You have right. to figure out a way to debunk that. I think I don't think you see it that much now, but at the beginning, when they were starting to roll out the vaccine and stuff, I saw it a lot. Like I had a neighbor that basically said that he didn't trust. He didn't. He regret taking the vaccine. He was like, "I don't trust the vaccine." I've had 
one like another neighbor, another person that stays over here, they were like, well, two of my friends died after getting the vaccine. I'm like, the vaccine didn't kill them. It was right. something else. And when Hank Aaron died, I literally sank into a depression because without Hank Aaron, I would not have been vaccinated. And the reason why is because I had told, I told people, I'm like, dude, I'm not taking no vaccine, no COVID vaccine. I don't think I ever told you this, but, and I think you probably saw the tweets on my, uh, on my timeline. I was like, God is my vaccine. I was like, God is my vaccine. Y'all look, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this in anything. I was hesitant in the beginning. Me and my mom both was like, well, we're going to let this roll out first, which was smart. I mean, in hindsight, it was smart to let that shit, let people go ahead, let, especially the white folks, because I figured if the white folks wasn't dead, that we'd be all right. Because if they wanted to kill us, they'd kill us. You know, that, that was convinced. It was like, you know what? If white people ain't dying, then we're going to be all right. But hell yeah, if we had reason to be leery. Yeah, and, 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 and you know what, and, and, and it's, and, and it was, a, and it was fair, it was fair to, it was fair to have that, 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 that hesitancy, but, but people, people thought, you know, and I told this to someone, people thought, you know, uh, people always brought up Tuskegee, people brought up Tuskegee, people brought up all these other things, and I'm like, I don't think it's, it's, it's a lot more complex than you think, but I think what, help me get over it. I was like, okay, what did I miss the fall the year before? What did I miss doing? I miss going to baseball games. I miss going to football games. I miss tailgating. If I do this, I can get back to doing those things. And that was all I was like, that was all I needed right there. And I can't and I and I told someone I decided to be an asshole about the vaccine. I told everybody, I was like, look, you, 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 and you, y'all need to get vaccinated. If y'all can go down to the liquor store, if y'all can go get y'all damn still reserve, y'all can go and get the vaccine. One of my one of my landlord who I just saw just a minute ago, my property manager, I talked to him. I said, dude, the vaccine, and this is where they fucked up at. You have to tell people, because we are a dumbass country. We're a dumb country, Stacey. We are. People thought the vaccine was a cure-all. Yep, they did. And they did. So what made me realize it wasn't was that um, my my Twitter crush, not not... Not the comedian. It, I actually do have a Twitter crush who I met. She's a Braves fan. She I ended like up getting. <laughs> she's a Braves fan. Um, she had gotten COVID uh, at the end of July last year. So she, I text her, and I remember she had gotten vaccinated. So she was like, you know, if I didn't have the vaccine, I would have been in the hospital. I would have been in the hospital and everything. I was like, damn. So that's what this is. The vaccine protects me from being in the hospital and severe illness. So that same day, I went to a clinic on South White Street. It was a woman's clinic. And I went and got, uh, and went and got a COVID test. And it came back clear and everything. But it dawned on me, like, okay, 
the vaccine protects me from severe from being in the hospital and being severely sick. So if I do get COVID, I, it will be mainly like a mild, you know, it will probably be a mild case or, or like a cold or something. Um, I wish the media, and this is why I fought the media in this, Stacey. The media needs to do a better job. The media is all about entertainment. They don't give a fuck about informing. You no. tell me if they had to inform people about that, you would not have seen so much hesitancy and so much skepticism. Well, I mean, skepticism and hesitancy means the same thing, but it would have not been the way it turned out to be. I mean, I, like I said, but it's, it's, but they were passing out misinformation. I mean, I saw this week that Fauci is retiring. And I said, I, I think at the Biden's, you know, term. And I said, you know, I don't blame him. The way he was treated like the devil for sitting up and trying to save lives, it pissed me off. I said, you know what, this man did all he could and he got ring through, you know, put through the ringer because of idiots. Like, people are just so damn stupid. Like they got literally got put through the he got literally put through the ringer. I mean, and he got he got he got he got. Like, changes all the time. That's the thing that I think that's the viewers trying to tell people is that people are mad at Fauci, but I remember Megan McCain was a big time talker about all of this and saying you know all this shit. And um, my thing was, I think Sunny Houston said that, and I and I thought about it. And she's right. Science changes all the damn time. What may be true today may not be true tomorrow. Right. right. I, I I talk about th- I talked about this all the time. I say, the more you learn about something in science, the more your thinking evolves. It's, right. it's a thing. It's you know I have I've had I had a you know I'm sure you, I don't know if you ever listened to the podcast. The episode I did it was an episode I did. Um, of the podcast, I sat with some Tulane public health ex- experts. We have a school of tropical health and we talked about these things. And I said, the one thing that people don't want to do, especially the science community, they don't want to say that they got something wrong. And to give you an idea of how chaotic it was in New Orleans in terms of COVID in terms of COVID at the beginning, the only way you could get a test is if you had to go to the hospital. That was why, in a, in a reason, that was a, a partial reason why the hospitals was filled. Because they, you couldn't go to a Walgreens and do, get an at-home test or anything. Like, you had to go to an actual hospital. Yep. And what if you lived in a rural area? Again, a rural area. You know, a and rural area. Know, and we don't know to this day how many people in rural areas died. We don't know. Pro- tons. Probably tons. Like, you got to realize, like, here in Louisiana, Governor Jindal, his bitch ass, he closed a lot of hospitals. A lot of hospitals closed because of that bitch. And I would not be surprised at the volume of people that died from COVID um, in, uh, in, in, in rural areas. Like when you think about, for example, here, uh, like when you think about in, um, 
I'm trying to look up here, like, uh, priest weddings or whatever. Like, we've had, uh, we're on a high level here in this, in this city, in the, in the state. Um, in terms of COVID deaths, I think we lost, I think here in, 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 in Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm trying to look here, all right. Well, I don't yes, know how yes, many we, we lost. I'm not shocked by the spike because we, I was just telling a friend of mine in California, I said, because of holidays, I said, it's, to me, this is going to be like the flu. We're just going to have to deal with it. It's going to be one of those situations where it's always going to be something. It's going to be a seasonal probably thing or a, not even a seasonal thing. It's just going to be happening. People, I mean, I've been fortunate, thank God, that I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm sure at some point I expect to get it. The one, the one thing that I try to explain to people is that we're basically on the same wavelength because uh, uh, in terms of like COVID deaths per week. At this time last year, we had 72. Right now, we're at 41. 41 deaths per week in the state of Louisiana. And basically what that tells me is the shit's working, that people might get it, but you know your ass is surviving. That was the point, that if you got it, you could survive it. A lot of people who have been getting it that I know, they get over it in a few days like a cold. It's like they'll get it, they'll have a few symptoms, and they'll feel better. That was the whole point anyway. You know, it was more prevention, of course, not to get it. But, of course, it was the fact that if you did get it, you were going to survive it. You'll be fine. And, and, and again, this, is, this, goes back, this goes back to how information is transmitted. Right. And, 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 and among other things, among other things. So now we get to the wonderful world of Conference Realize. And um, while between our last show and now, UCLA and USC are set to join the Big Ten. And to give you an idea of how shocking that is, think about like as kids, we grew up watching USC and UCLA take on a Big Ten team in the Rose Bowl. On New Year's Eve, on New Year's Day, and now you're gonna see them play. You're gonna see a UCLA Ohio State game matter in Big Ten play, and I really want to get your thoughts on that. I think it's dumb um, to, for UCLA and USC to move to the middle of the Midwest. I mean, I get it because I I know they did it to be relevant. And I, um, they to stay relevant, but at the same time, why didn't they just go to the Big Twelve? I mean, that would to me that would make more sense. You're not far from Texas, you know. That would help the Big Twelve out. That would definitely pump them back up and make them a major player. But I, I think it's crazy that now you know people were laughing. We were talking about UCLA and USC having to go to the middle of Columbus, Ohio, in October to play Ohio State you know, or having to go to Michigan and, and play them or, you know, it's just, it's just totally 
crazy. I mean, I, like I said, the Big 12 would have made more sense, but I get it to a certain extent because UCLA and USC want to remain relevant. If Oregon wants to remain relevant, I suggest they move to and maybe make a deal with the Big 12 or, or, the, or the Mountain West so they can remain relevant. Because once UCLA and USC are gone, the Pac-12 is going to suffer because that's their main cash cow, especially SC. So it makes no sense. And the SEC, I know, from a few weeks ago, they're talking about the the SEC getting ready to swallow the ACC. But Virginia, North Carolina, Clemson, and Florida State are planning to move to the SEC if things go as planned with UCLA and, and USC. So, and uh, that leaves where does Duke go? I mean, Duke. <laughs> I think I think Duke. I think I think Duke is gonna. St- I mean, with the ACC, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, then you're gonna have to make a call, make a run at East Carolina. You're gonna have to make a run at. You're gonna have to make a run at South Florida, East Carolina, um, Central Florida. Central Florida is going to the Big Twelve. Oh, that's right. Central Florida is going to the Big Twelve. For that so you that. have you're gonna have to make a run at East Carolina. Got to make a run at Central Florida. I mean, uh, South Florida, that is. And you're gonna have to make a run at maybe UNC Charlotte, or, or I mean, you're gonna have to make a run. I mean, it's, I would call. I mean, why my thing is, why don't they call Maryland back and see? I mean, because I mean, bring Maryland back. I mean, that would be a pie in the sky thing. But the reason why Maryland left and went to the AC to the Big Ten, they needed the money because they were broke. Yep. And, and I think when you look at, I mean, when you look at the Pac-12, the Pac-12 to me, Stacy, it's just something you watch. Like Pac-12 football is something you watch after you're when you're hungover after a long day of partying. It's not something that I grew up with. Like you know, I and I, I take that back. I remember watching Pac-12 games during the daytime, but for the most part. You know, at my age, I'm like, dude, I just view the Pac-12, Pac-12 football is something to watch when you're hungover. Well, I think, it, I mean, I like watching Pac-12 after dark. That was my thing is. is yeah, I, I mean, like that's what it is. Late, like, like Pac-12 after know, dark. That's what I it's for. It. I don't take that for kind of football seriously. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I mean, nobody does. I mean, you know. You know, there's, uh, you know, for example, like UCLA football hasn't been relevant since 1998. Miami basically killed their program. Because yep. if you remember that game, they played, they played, um, I broke my ankle on December 2nd, 1998. They That was a Wednesday. That was a Wednesday. That Saturday, Miami took on UCLA. Um, Mississippi State took on um, Mississippi State took on Tennessee, and I think Texas A&M took on Kansas State. So here's what had to happen: Kansas State had to win, had to win against Texas A&M to go to the big to the uh, to the championship. They 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 literally had to win that game to possibly play for a national championship. Texas A&M wins that game. Tennessee beats Mississippi State. Florida gets propelled because you know back then the ACC didn't have a, 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 a championship game back then. 
So Kansas State loses. Tennessee, uh, Florida State moseys on in into um into the uh the championship game, and Miami lose. Miami beats beats UCLA, which again which puts UCLA out of the championship game. And that right there basically killed the program. Like UCLA football has not been UCLA football has not been relevant since I was a little kid. They haven't been relevant basically since Pro Aikman left. Let's be real about it. I mean, I they haven't been relevant. I mean, like you said, since Troy Aikman, I mean, to me, since Troy Aikman played, they haven't been that good. And like I said, they're going to probably be a mediocre pack. I mean, mediocre Big Ten team. They're going to get killed. But like you said, they're doing this for money. It's about, as JJ said on these commercials, money, money. is about money, money, and, money. And, and, and being relevant. Being relevant because they're not, I mean, USC is probably going to have better chances of, of making yeah, UC, the um, USC is going to do it because USC has a national. USC has a national brand. That's the thing about it. Right. USC has a national brand. UCLA football, it has a really good history, but you know, at the at, at, on a national on a national level, it's not it's basically like Michigan State football. I think Michigan State's more relevant than UCLA in football. Oh yeah. I mean, UCLA, I mean, oh, yeah. Michigan Michigan State's played in Rose Bowls, they played in they played in the college football playoff. They played they won Big Ten championships. Um I think they're more relevant than UCLA football. Well, I think they are too. I mean, but like I said, they like you absolutely what you say is correct is that UCLA football has not been relevant in forever and they won't be relevant in this conference. They're not going to be good in, 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 the, in the Big Ten. I mean, they're going to get killed. I mean, not only by their own rival, but they're going to get killed by Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State are powerhouses. Wisconsin is nothing to sneeze at. And every once in a while, you're going to have to deal with Northwestern smartasses. So they're not going to be relevant in this in this conference either. But it is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that... USC might, like I said, might get back up there because of Lincoln Riley, and I think they will. I think they're going to be highly competitive. Yeah, they're going to be definitely um, competitive. I mean, they um, they're going to definitely be competitive because I think again they have a national brand. They also they have a national brand, and on top of that, on top of that, they have a national brand, and also on top of that. Lincoln Riley can recruit. You can recruit, um, you can recruit like crazy to um, to USC. It's not like that with UCLA because I think Chip Kelly is going to be. On, I think Chip Kelly is going to be on that hot seat this year. Oh, there's no doubt. Now we there shift, is no doubt. Now we shift gears over to our battles with the hotel. Oh my god! Like they got they got Kenny out. They got Kenny out the paint. They didn't they didn't try to do it with me. Like they called they called uh, me. They called you a peasant. And I was and you saw the tweet. I was like, who the fuck you calling a peasant? Like really? Like really? 
you know, I think when it comes to those hoteps, Stacy, when it comes to hoteps, they do a lot of projecting. And I feel like they hate, they hate that women are allowed to vote, allowed to make their own decisions. In their mindset, all women are supposed to be for the sex cafe. I think that's one of the, and I think the reason why, I think that's their viewpoint. That's why they always go hard at women. They don't go hard at men. They go hard at women. Well, of course they go hard at women. I mean, they're sexist. I mean, this is this is my issue. They, they're sexist and they don't like gay men. They don't like, especially gay black men. They can't stand gay black men. Uh, but they they don't like <laughs> they don't like us at all because it's just like I said when the girl kept on saying we're weird as fuck I said I'd rather be weird than average I said because you're listening to people like listening to Tariq Nasheed or whatever he calls himself and this man has a white wife or at least what a mixed wife and this man who is racist as fuck jumping on Kamala Harris has a mixed wife this Negro has mixed wife, but you want to see fit to try to drag the vice president when your wife is not pure herself. And that it's, is what it's about, kills it's, me. It's about proje- it's, it's projection. It's all projection. Like they, they're haunted by the fact that somebody somewhere is happy. Yeah, it, it bothers them because we don't live by their rules. And that's a lot of it. This is about control. People like that get upset when you do something that's, you know, outside the box. Like I said, I date who I fuck who I want to date. Same with you. That's one of the reasons we connected our friendship was that we dated outside our race and we didn't have no problem with each other dating outside our race. That's how we connected on our friendship in the beginning. These folks, like I said, have an issue because they can't live their best life. You know, they're upset because everybody else is going to do what the fuck they want to do. And it's not a damn thing they can do about it. And this kind of goes back to the abortion thing, too. People got upset that people could live their lives without somebody telling them what to do. And they, and they got upset about it. And, I, and they got upset about right. it. And I, think, and I think the one thing also is that I think the reason why it happened during the social media era I always tell people, I say the reason why is because the social media era, in my opinion, I, 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 and, and, I, and I'm, you might, I might be wrong about this. It shows that people are so more concerned about performative bullshit than they are actual change. And they, they misconstrue what progress being, what progression really means. They misconstrue it. It's like, They've been, you know, they've, you know, you had all these people that have hijacked the true meaning of progressive. And right. they, they think that progressive is something that is done within two days. It's why they beat their dicks to whatever AOC does. Because exactly. they, like, it, it, it's, the, it's the same thing. Like, they beat their dicks so anything that AOC does, they beat their dicks to it. Because to them, she's a pretty face, one, and two, they're dumbasses. 
And what I'm talking about when I'm saying dumbasses, like they are the what they are basically the real low information voters because they see a pretty face that's doing something performative. And they equate that with doing something, that they're fighting. They don't realize that it's performative. Well, like I said, they, they're hypocrites, and I told them that. And I think I've shut them both down by calling them that. It's like, your, your comments about me are irrelevant. You don't matter to me. I'm going to live my life the way I see fit. And if that pisses you off, oh, well. See, that's the thing. Like, it's like, it's like the, 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 thing, the thing I've learned about all of this is this. It's like, so like with Eddie Long. Eddie Long was homophobic as fuck. And Eddie yep. Long ends up. <laughs> Eddie Long ended up being in the closet. And that's what you get with these people. Like, these people are so pro black, but they're married to white women. Why? And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. You can be pro-black and, very outside, and date outside your race. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you constantly shove your agenda down uh, people's throats and fail to realize your own real life and your own real truth, then I, don't, I can't take you seriously. I just can't. Well, that's not, it's the hypocrisy. It, like I said, it's the hypocrisy to me. You're, it's just like with um, the high tip that died recently. What's his face? Uh, and they said that he died of, of hypertension. Oh, uh, Kevin Samuels. Nick, Kevin Cast- Samuels. Uh, Nick Castellanos killed Kevin Samuels. <laughs> Why you say that? All right. So you, everyone knows about that. The, uh, the home run that he hit when uh, Tom... Don Brenneman said that, you know, called, said something about Kansas City being the fag capital of the world. Well, about five minutes, the same day that Nick, uh, the same day that Kevin Samuels died, Nick Castellanos hit a home run. So Nick Castellanos killed Kevin Samuels. Well, I tell you what, Kevin Samuels, um, and I don't think he was a hotel. I think he was just a misogynistic bitch. Yeah, but he, was, I, I, he you was. know. But and, I mean, my thing is, why are you listening? To some, as a, as I keep on asking these questions to people who listen to him, why are you listening to somebody who doesn't have a successful relationship? Why? Somebody tell me why do we listen to people? I like Steve Harvey. I know some people don't like him with some of the stuff he said, but why are we listening to Steve Harvey? He's on marriage number three. And somebody pointed that out one time in a joke. And I said, you know what? They absolutely right. Why are we listening to people who don't have successful marriages and relationships? Because we see someone in a suit and a tie and we equate that with being smart. That's right. the reason why it's the same way that Kevin Samuels gravitated to so many people. And he was like, well, I'm saying this stuff in terms of making women better. Okay, you're doing this in the name of scolding people. That's what right. Kevin Samuels did. He didn't, he wasn't empowering women. He was scolding them. Like, he was scolding them. It's like the stuff that happened last week. I listened 
to everybody. Like the thing that made me, the thing that I have learned over the last six years is to listen to women a lot more. He didn't want to do that. He felt like my way of doing this is by scolding women and telling them what's wrong with them instead of building them back up. And men saw that. They saw him, oh, he's the guy with the glasses and the suit. He's smart. But he's the the same reason why. He didn't have a PhD and was not married. He died like the dude from the color purple. Remember daddy that was abusing Whoopi Goldberg? I've never, I've, I've, I've never seen color purple. What? I, 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 I take Me, that back. You're going to have to have a come to Jesus meeting, but I, the audience will understand what I'm saying. In the movie, Whoopi Goldberg is abused at what she thought was her father. And it turned out at the end of the movie, it turned out to be a stepfather. But he had married a girl looked like she was about 18 19 years old and he dies at the end and she gets all the property whoopi goldberg gets all the property and stuff and the girl whoopi goldberg said how asked the girl how did he die and she says the girl says on top of me so that's basically how kevin samuels went out of this world single with a stranger because they said somebody that didn't know him that he picked up and the girl probably died on top of him, and he had a heart attack. And that pretty much defines to me his life, that he, I'm not saying I'm wishing death on anybody or this is a bad thing. I'm just saying in general, you better watch what you say about folks because a lot of times that shit does come back to you even if it's not in life. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that that's the thing that he failed to realize. Like, that's the thing that he failed to realize. He did not realize that that shit was going to come back to him. I agree. He didn't realize it at all, that uh, it was going to come on back to him and came back so quickly because he wasn't what, but 53, 54 years old when he died. I mean, he died young, and like I said, he looking the the pillar of health, looking all you know. He was an attractive man, but he was an attractive man and ended up dying. But yeah, he dragged he dragged females all over the place, and of course, men were just everywhere were just loving it. They was just like, yeah, tell him. I said, y'all just like it because he's telling y'all stuff y'all want to hear. But I saw like a video of him basically saying that he switched over to that side because it was making him more money. I mean that's really what it was. It was a grip. It was a grip. It's, it's it was it, it was just that it was a grip. It's like show me a a podcast with three black dudes that isn't misogynist. But, yeah. I mean it, it, that isn't misogynistic. And, and it's a shame. I mean you see it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane to think about man. that. It's insane. And I'm a black guy, and I'm saying this, and I say I can say this because I'm a black guy, and I see it all the time. It's like the, mo- the one of the realest things I remember saying this to somebody. You know, I saw it on, on Twitter. And it was a dude that talked about why do men, why do women have to treat men like guns? Because when you're, when you're taught, when you handle a gun, you have to treat each gun like it's loaded. When every woman, with every woman, every woman has to treat each guy like it's a loaded gun. Why? Because this guy, even though he may be nice, he could still be in a, her assailant. 
and I was like, damn, I never, and I, and I, and I, I, I kid you not, I didn't even think of that at the time. I was just like, yo, I've never heard, I've never seen a podcast uh, 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 helmed by black men that wasn't sports related, that wasn't misogynist, that wasn't misogynistic. But what, I mean, I'm asking you as a black man, why do black men do this? Why? Because, and I, I want to, seriously, I want to, and I'm not saying black women are guilty of this. Let me tell you, there are women, black women who are out there who do this too. And I don't like it. Just like we talked about with that article of interracial dating. And I said, I don't like black women switching to white men because a brother did them wrong. I said, if you're going to do it, do it right. Do it because you want to open yourself up to something new, not because your last boyfriend hurt you. I don't like that kind of stuff. But I want to know why do black men podcasts and they just they dread it. It's it's basically it's basically the uh the barbershop in a digital uh, in a digital format. That's really what it is. It's like cuz when you go to these barbershops you see these you hear these same bullshit conversations and it's like I always like a lot of times when I go to barbershops, a lot of times, like when I was growing up, you know, I'd be like, man, these guys are talking about some stuff that, you know, makes me want to, you know, be excited about being a guy. But then I didn't know it. I didn't know any better. But I think with as a black man, and I've seen this so many times, these podcasts are nothing more than digitalized barbershops. Right. And, and it's like, you can get away with spouting shit like misinformation at a barbershop. Nobody's going to be in there to check you. And if they do check you, then that person's going to get ridiculed the rest of the time. You know what I'm saying? Like that's right. the that's what you really get. It's a it's like the barbershop. It's like the barbershop thing. It's like I remember when I was doing some work for Dola Reddy. I was going to go into the barbershops and talk to people about the vaccine. And I thought to myself, I'm like, why would I want to go and do that? Because I'm going to get a million Tuskegee's and we're not taking it because we don't trust it. I was going to, I was like, why would I want to do something like, why would I want to deal with that? Like I would rather just drop them off. And that's why I did. I dropped off numerous um, flyers about vaccines. I took them to bars. I took them to laundromats. I took them to the laundromat that was that is close by my house on uh, Carondelet and Third because I know the owner and everything. I took some over to Igor's because I know everybody in Igor's. I took some over to Avenue Cafe. I went to the places I knew that people would be receptive to information about COVID vaccines. And things of that nature. Why would I want to do that? At, why would I want to go to a barbershop and, and deal with that shit? Because right. I know how barbershops, especially in the hood, works. If it doesn't involve shaking your ass, if it doesn't involve just ignorant behavior, motherfuckers, some motherfuckers not going to want to hear it. And then, and especially if someone that they just look, they look, they give you this like weird vibe, be like, who the hell are you? Well, I agree. So it's like that's the reason why you see these things, like these, these, 
these podcasts are popular because we we like ignorance. We do like we we like ignorance. We don't like class. We don't like civil conversations. We have to act a goddamn fool. And I'll never forget this. And then I'll shut up. Uh, and then I'll um, give my closing thoughts, which I gotta go on a rant. It's about the Kansas City Royals. They're still in the, they're still in baseball, you know. <laughs> the Royals. I gotta I gotta say that. But I think back to uh, uh, a conversation that happened when I was in college. Okay, so I went to Crichton College before I went to Christian Brothers. Crichton College, we had a bat, we had the baseball team and the basketball team. The baseball team was predominantly white. The basketball team was predominantly black. Well, one time there was a big fight that happened between the baseball team and the basketball team. Baseball team got in trouble and shit. So months later, months later, it was this girl named Shonda Freeman. Shonda Freeman, real beautiful girl, real, real beautiful girl. So she one time she pulled me to the side. She's like, Ryan, the baseball team don't like us because they think we're a bunch of niggers. And I thought to myself, and I remember like all the times I've gone into the into the into the uh, student center at Crite, and I look around and you see all the black kids carrying on, being loud and everything, saying every, and I'm guilty. I was guilty of it too. I was guilty of it too. Saying a profanity every fourth word. And you see the white kids sitting on amongst themselves, acting like they got home training. They they're talking amongst themselves. They're not loud or anything of that nature. And I almost and I didn't want to tell her that. I didn't really want to say what I really wanted to say. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, think about how you guys act. Think about how you guys act and portray yourself. That's why they think you're a bunch of niggas. That's why they think that. It's sad, though. I mean, but you know. And it's like, and and people don't like when you say that shit. I'm like, dude, y'all feed off of ignorance. Y'all, we feed into it and we crave it. And it's like, dude, um, it's not that's not what we are as a people. You know, it's like it's like one time, like last summer, I saw these um I saw two tons of fun fight the IHOP, the IHOP workers. On and, and there was a and you remember I told you never go to the IHOP on Canal. The IHOP on Canal is hell on earth. These folks got to fighting with the staff in IHOP. Because they weren't waited on. And as soon as that, when the whole time during the fight, everybody pulling out their cameras, including me, taking a, a, a video of it and putting it on, on, the, on the internet. And I'm like, I'm contributing to the ignorance because I'm filming it and I'm going to put it on my Instagram. And I'm like, we feed off of that shit and we don't know how to deviate from that as a people. But that's, I don't think that's all of us. I think a lot no, of No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. You're right about that. I mean, I, I, I think that, 
the issue for a lot of us. I mean, I know being older and all this, a lot of these young kids, as we'd say, I'm Generation X, you're a millennial, but the kids after us, they don't care. They, they don't give a damn how it looks to, to the elders, how they look. Because, you know, and I think it's a shame, but they're being stereotyped because of the way they act. A lot of these kids are just decent kids and having a good time, but it doesn't look good. Uh, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. But, Stacey, we're coming to the end of this show. I got to say this because I need to say this. I need to say this. And this goes out to the Kansas City Royals. And uh, you guys may have heard of them. They actually play baseball in Kansas City. This is the franchise of George Brett, Brett Saverhagen, Frank White, Daryl Porter, Carlos Beltran, Mike Sweeney, Alex Gordon, Bob Hamlin. So many countless players have played with the Kansas City Royals. But this is not about their history. This is not about their history. None of that stuff. This is about 10 players, 10 players who basically decided to do something selfish. In Canada, in Canada, you cannot play a baseball game or any sport, uh, any sport that is in Canada, a team sport that is, unless if you're vaccinated. Well, 10 players, 10 players, by the way, decided to forfeit their right to play in a series against the Toronto Blue Jays because they were not vaccinated. Some of those names include Andrew Benatendi and Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield was the hero of the 2010 South Carolina team that won the national title in baseball. Also, in addition to that, there was also Hunter Dozier, Dylan Coleman, Cam Gallagher, Michael A. Taylor, Michael A. Taylor is black, by the way, I believe. And I'm greatly disappointed. Greatly disappointed because it, the COVID, the COVID, the coronavirus destroyed the black community. And I'm disgusted at that. Here's why I'm going to say, go, here's why I'm going with this. Two years ago, at this time, around this time of year, two years ago, we had a truncated opening day. There were no fans. Broadcasters had to use their TVs as uh, as the monitors. They had a, broadcasters were broadcasting from home. They were doing broadcasts from home and everything. The only fans you saw in the stands were cutouts, among other things. You were playing in an empty stadium. An empty Kaufman Stadium. And now, with the tools that are available, the COVID vaccine, the booster shots, the over-the-counter stuff, you refuse to do the right thing. And everyone says, well, oh yeah, it's their personal choice. It's their personal choice. We get that. We get that. Truly get that. It is their personal choice. But they also have to come into contact but not just their teammates, families, their families, fans, support staff, etc. Some of them 
who are immune-compromised, immune-compromised. You decided to be selfish and not give a shit. And also, I'm going to save this for Whit Merrifield, bitch ass. That's why I called him a bitch ass. <laughs> Whit Merrifield said the only way he'll take the vaccine is if he plays on a contending team. On a contending team. Really? The only way you'll play, you'll take this shot is if you play for a contender. What does that say about you, Whit Merrifield? It tells me that you don't give a fuck about the task at hand, which is you playing for the Kansas City Royals. You only want to take the vaccine only if you play for a contender. And what if you don't get traded to a contender this year? You're still going to act like this? If you're going to be selfish, if you're going to be selfish, if you're going to say you're not going to take the vaccine, fine, great, all good and well. But you know what I would do? If I'm Whit Merrifield, Brady Singer, Brad Keller, MJ Melendez, who else is on here? Kyle Isabel, Hunter Dozier, Michael A. Taylor, Dylan Coleman, and Cam Gallagher, all 10 of you motherfuckers need to donate your next game check to charity. Also, your ass need to go and see the suffering in those ICUs in Kansas City. Oh yeah, there are still people in the hospital with COVID. And by the grace of God, you better not be a nominee for the fucking Herman Cain Award. <laughs> because if you become a nominee for the Herman Cain Award, that's going to be a classic example of fucking around and finding out. Well, you know that and and uh i'll say this and we can end the show but you know that this new york mets pitcher said the same thing he said he had to miss a game because he had symptoms of covid and he now says you know he doesn't know if he would say anything now and i said what in the world do you mean you wouldn't say anything so i guess now because he didn't get sick and die He's not going to tell anybody if he has COVID, not even his teammates. The Cardinals, uh, Tyler O'Neill, he has skepticism about the vaccine, and he ended up getting the vaccine. And the Cardinals, everybody thought the Cardinals were not going to pass the 85% threshold. Um, for the record, we're most of our players are vaccinated. I don't know anybody that isn't vaccinated. I do worry because we got the uh, we got a game against the uh, we got games against the Blue Jays next week. I do worry whether or not whether or not if we got any players uh, that are uh, quote unquote unvaccinated. I do worry about that, but for the most part, for the most part, uh, Stacy, we're fine. We're fine over in, in uh, over in uh, in St. Louis. But anyway, folks, we are coming to the end of this therapy session. As always, thank you for your time this time. And as all and as always, we'll see you down the road. Say goodnight, Stacy. Good night, Stacy. Y'all be careful out there. Yes. And don't do anything I would do. Please don't. Right. Example is a uh, joke with some woman about being a uh, some dominatrix and 
being on the hook for $250. Don't do it, guys. I can't. I could. I told her I, I, I made a lie and said I couldn't read. And I was, you know, and I was loopy from, uh, I was very loopy from, like, cold medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye, y'all. <laughs> See y'all later. <laughs>